Good Night, Night, with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, authors Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at authorsontheair.com. To learn more about your hosts, visit our websites at tamrathorn.com and alistaircross.com. You can also give our Haunted Nights Live page a like on Facebook or visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com. Also, our twiddle, our twiddle, our Twitter handle is at Thorn Cross. Uh, special thanks to W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. This is a copyrighted trademark podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. Welcome to the show, everyone, and thank you for listening. Um, we, as you know, if you've been listening, uh, we have been starting out the shows with true ghost stories. Uh, we're, we're starting to, we, we're still on the lookout for some. Um, so if you have a true ghost story that you would like us to read, uh, on the air before our show, uh, email it to hauntednightslive at gmail.com by emailing your agreeing to our guidelines, which can be read at alistaircross.com backslash ghosts. Uh, again, that email is hauntednightslive at gmail.com. And tonight's true ghost story comes from none other than our guest, Joe Teeples. It's about the Comet Lodge Cemetery in Washington State. Uh, the tale reminds me a little bit of the movie Poltergeist. Uh, we were reading it earlier. It's a lot of fun. Are you there, Tamara? I am here. Um, All right. Would you I'll... like to read it? Yes. <laughs> Okay, it's um, the story is very detailed. The story of the Comet Lodge Cemetery. So we're giving you the ghostly highlights here, but you can read the complete report. We'll put it on our blog tomorrow, and you can also go to JoeTeeples.com and and to uh, and download Pacific Northwest Haunts as a PDF, which is the book the story comes from, where you can find lots more details. Okay. The the status of Comet Lodge Cemetery in Seattle, Washington was in dispute for many years as King County claimed it wasn't a cemetery and wanted to turn it into a dog park, park, even though the tomb's still there. And they did get their way. Today, dogs are allowed to run through the unfenced property. Now, the site was originally used by the Duwamish Nation. Uh, Then a family named Maple settled in the area in the 1800s. The Maples referred to the cemetery as the old burial grounds. There were a lot of Duwamish natives buried there, and eventually about 800 pioneers joined them. Later, the Maples deeded the land to the Comet Lodge, which established the formal cemetery in 1895. So, by the 1920s, the cemetery was all but abandoned, but a few bodies were added until the mid-1930s. The last recorded burial was a three-year-old child named Jewel London, who passed away on September 21st, 1936. After the Comet Lodge Cemetery was neglected, after that, the Comet Lodge Cemetery was neglected and overgrown. And while cemeteries are protected sites, ownership of the land came into question, and the city of Seattle and King County uh, had several rounds of foreclosure actions. Many civic groups attempted to protect the graveyard through the years. 
Now, this is where it takes a very poltergeisty turn. In 1959, a Comet Lodge member sent a letter to the county detailing the plan to move the cemetery and sell the land. Nothing was done, though, and years later, Seattle would officially declare that there had never been a cemetery at that location. So in the 1970s, houses were built over parts of the cemetery where children had been buried. Ten or twelve houses were built in this baby land portion of the cemetery. Um, because it wasn't a cemetery. It never had been, evidently, even though there were still stones hanging around. So anyway, that's when the ghost stories started really popping up. One family had an expensive collection of porcelain dolls, which they kept on display in a cabinet. They kept the cabinet locked and checked the lock nightly. Despite the security measure, the owner would find the dolls scattered around the house the next morning as if some ghostly spirit had been playing with them. Another family criticized their only son for leaving his toys around the house at all, all the time. The boy protested and claimed he was not playing with them, but was forced by his parents to clean up his room before going to bed. He dutifully placed all the toys in a box each night. The next morning, the toys would be discovered all over the house. They were found on the stairs and on every level of the home. Finally, the child confided to his parents that a strange boy, dressed in funny clothes, came into his room every night and sat on the edge of his bed. The boy felt that the spirit was watching over him. He wasn't afraid. One of the homeowners told reporters that she was assured that her property was not part of the Comet Lodge Cemetery, but felt that her family was not alone from the very start. The day they moved in, all the lights suddenly went out and then came back on by themselves. She told the reporter that they lived with it now and knew that the spirits were there. Several times she turned off the lights in the display case, left the room only to come back and find the lights on again. She suspected her children were playing a trick on her, so she turned the lights off one time and went to her her bedroom, and she stood at the door to spy on the case, and the lights came back on all by themselves. No kids. One night, at least no live ones, one night while she was alone making dinner, she saw a clear cloud swoop past her. She followed the ghost to her bedroom, where she saw it more clearly, a full outline of a person as if in a cloud. The spirit then swooped into the bathroom. Because everybody's got to go, right? Okay, so her daughter, the same lady's daughter, says she's also seen spirits. One day she visited the cemetery and then came home to her bedroom. When she looked out her bedroom window, she saw a ghost. The spectral woman had long hair with loose waves and approached the little girl's window. The spirit looked happy, so she got up and looked at her. Other children reported that they saw ghosts as well. Many people have reported seeing strange lights and actual apparitions in the cemetery area at night. Many of the reports indicate that the spirits are short, probably children, who run in dark between trees. Psychics claim there are probably 50 to 100 spirits hanging around in the area. Nice. That is one of my personal favorite ghost stories we've had, and there's actually a lot more to it. Uh, if you, We had to condense it a little bit just for uh, time purposes. But if you go to joeteeples.com, you can download a PDF. Uh, it's from the book Pacific Northwest Haunts, and you can read the entire tale there. Uh, that being said, uh, our guest tonight is Joe Teeples, who has been investigating paranormal events for over 30 years. His travels have taken him to some of the strangest places in the world. Uh, Joe is an officer of one of Seattle's largest and most professional ghost hunting organizations that allowed him to research many locations that have been restricted to a select few. He has uh, subsequently seen some pretty strange things involving both the living and the dead. Uh, His research 
includes near-death and out-of-body experiences, as well as the ghostly search for life after death and communicating with the spirits who have moved on but not really left the area. He has also investigated such paranormal anomalies as time travel, Bigfoot, UFOs, witchcraft, werewolves, zombies, and vampires. Some people simply refuse to die. He has discovered that most urban legends and tall tales have a little truth in them that can sometimes be large enough to hit people in the head. Peeling away the normal fabric of the world has revealed a shadowy world of vampires, witches, and other creatures that were thought to be fairy tales or nightmares. The world is not as it appears to be. Uh, finally, Joe is the author of fiction and nonfiction, and tonight he'll be giving away two copies of his bestseller, Ghostology 101. Uh, to win, uh, you can email us on our uh, Haunted Nights Live page, or you can also send us an email at hauntednightslive at gmail.com, and we will put you into the drawing and announce the two winners at the end of the show. That being said, please welcome author and ghost hunter Joe Teeples. Hi, Joe. Hi, how's everyone doing? Good, how are you? Good, good. So I want to ask you about your ghost story, about the Comet Lodge. Uh, The houses are still there? The hauntings are still there. They still go on. And uh, if you go there, you'll still find some of the tombstones, and it looks like like it might be just old cemeteries and old gravestones, uh, but in, in actuality, those, those markers have no have nothing to do with the location of the bodies. So you may be looking at a at a tall gravestone, and underneath it, there's nothing, and that's because uh, a, a representative of the, of the city of Seattle, for some reason, uh, grabbed the bulldozer when they declared that it was not a cemetery and pushed all the stones into the center of the park. Oh, nice. Wow. He obviously didn't watch Poltergeist. You shouldn't do that. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. So, so it's kind of unusual. And, and ghost hunters that go there, um, you, if you go with psychics, they'll say, yeah, there's there's a lot of small, short little people running around. And they all seem to be gathering in what, what, what used to be the the infant burying ground or the, or what we would call baby land. And they seem to yeah. dart between the trees and, uh, and as, as if they're playing back and forth. Uh, the city does mow the property now, so it's a nice little, uh, looks like a park. It's not fenced in. You, you have free access to it, and it's a great place to take your dog so he can do his business on the uh, remains of your forefathers. Oh, cool. Nice, nice. How wonderful. So, yeah, right. <laughs> you have been, you have, actually, before we go, before we, uh, I want to I hear more about this, but, before we uh, uh, get into that, I want to ask you, because uh, Tamara has told me that I should, about your your research into vampires. I'm working on a vampire novel right now, and uh, she said that uh, you had some really interesting stories uh, during your research of vampires. For so, his book. Yeah, for, for your book. Vampires, yeah. Yeah, vampires. I actually started out doing paranormal investigations during the great UFO flap in Michigan back in the 60s. And that's that's split into uh, ghosts and swamp creatures and yetis and Bigfoot and all all types of stuff. When I got to the Pacific Northwest, I concentrated on on ghosts. But then, as a hobby, I, I wanted to write a book, and I wanted to write a fiction book about vampires. But I didn't want them to sparkle in the sunlight, and I didn't want them to be the the fourth <laughs> of, of vampires. And so I decided, well, let's do some research. And I started researching vampires, and I wanted real vampires. And I found out that Seattle is, is the home to, I think it's the third largest conclave 
of vampires, of actual people who claim that they're vampires, um, you know, real vampires in the United States. Um, so you, you've got Atlanta, and then you've got New Orleans, and then number three comes in as, uh, as Seattle. And the expression that they use when they announce that, oh, yes, by the way, I am a vampire, I do drink blood or drink other people's energy, <laughs> when they, they do that in public, they, they, they say among themselves, that, oh, yes, yeah, so-and-so has come out of the coffin. So that, that's an expression <laughs> that we use. As I researched these things, I found out that a lot of the people that were doing this type of stuff were professional people. We're talking doctors and lawyers and nurses and police right. officers. And I found out that uh, there were seven nightclubs in Seattle that are, quote, and unquote, vampire friendly, meaning that if you go to this particular club on Thursday uh, at about 9 p.m. at night to midnight, that's where a lot of these people gather. And uh, it's, it's a normal party. They're all dancing and stuff like that. But then they'll excuse themselves, sneak into the back, and then they'll come back and one of the guys would have a one of the dancers would have a Band-Aid on their neck and where the, where the vampire had gone there and consumed a tablespoon of, of red red liquid. So, And that's when I started learning about the vampires and doing some studies there. And then I found out that, that the Temple of Vampires, uh, which is a an IRS-sanctioned church, so it's it's recognized by the U.S. government, is south of Seattle. It's, in, uh, it's down in Lacey, Washington. And so you can go and check out their their website, just look for Temple of Vampires, and um, you can Google that, and you'll find out that, holy cow, they're, they're down in um, down in Lacey. So <laughs> Interesting. Did, in your research, did you go in these places? I, I, I went to as many places as I could, and I must say that the dancers and the dance clubs, uh, the men and the women that were on the dance floor were uh, in amazing shape. They were very beautiful, very handsome, uh, dressed very nicely, um, and I, I, I'm assuming that they were hunting for their prey, and, and the prey, of course, that they're looking for are human beings who are not vampires who are willing to give up a little bit of their energy or a little bit of their blood in exchange for some other uh, favor that they might get from these people. And they, uh, they refer to those of us who are not vampires as sheeple. So we're not sheep. Oh, we're, not, we're sheep, something to be consumed. Oh, funny. Did you ever have anything scary happen during your research? Um, well, yes, as a matter of fact, when I, uh, we have an annual horror convention and, uh, in, in Seattle known as Crypticon, and we do it uh, every May, and they asked me to give a uh, presentation on uh, vampires. And so they, wanted, they didn't want the fiction one. They didn't want me to talk about movies or anything. They wanted the real thing. So I, I came up with a, uh, with a presentation for that, and apparently I've become the vampire expert in the Seattle area. And when I was teaching the class, when I looked out in the front, there were four, uh, four individuals sitting in the front row, and they were very cold, you know, steely eyes, arms crossed, and they, they, they just sat there and looked at me, and, and I looked at, at all four of them, and, I, and just before I started my presentation, I said, so you four are from the temple, aren't you? And they all nodded uh-huh. their head. And he's like, yes, so watch what you say. And then after the presentation, they told me that they were very happy that I had presented vampirism in a very positive light. So that was... Nice. It's a good thing, too. Uh, (laughs) That sounds like... Oh, God. Um, Tell us about... So in my book, Vampires, I put a glossary. So if you go to the glossary Uh in the book Vampires, which is a Maxwell Jackson thriller, 
Um, it, it's a work of fiction, but the the, the location of the ho- of the clubs are in the back. Uh, some of the killing fields you can find out where where they went. They went, and you can look that up and actually go there and say, "Well, this is this is where this stuff happened." So I just kind of worked that into my fiction book. Oh, that's fun. So Maxwell Jackson, are you going to take him on other adventures? Adventures. Eventually. Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, Maxwell Jackson is currently exploring shapeshifters and uh, werewolves. And so he's about halfway through that uh, that adventure, and we, we are discovering that uh, just as we did in Vampires, there's a lot of shapeshifters in the Pacific Northwest. And, so uh, you're heavily searching this, too. This is great. Yes, and you know, people who actually, you know, change, sh- you know, shift shapes into different uh-huh. creatures and, uh, and disappear, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, and it's a little scary as well. Wow. Wow. So... You want to ask something, Alistair? No, I mean I think it's fascinating. I oh. think that uh, I think uh, so. What what is what's the name of the book again? I want to check it out. Uh, the vampires. If you go to my website and then look under okay. books under fiction, yeah, the title is Vampires with an Apostrophe: A Maxwell Jackson uh, Adventure. And so that's, All right. that's it's also on Amazon.com and you know, Barnes and Noble right. places. Okay. Cool. All right, so I want to let's also I want to get back to the ghosts. Um, you yeah. have been doing ghost hunting for thirty years, correct? I started back in the nineteen sixties, so that's probably forty, forty-five, forty-five years. So wow, wow. So so would you say this is not a question, but do you can it be dangerous? I mean, uh, it, it can be dangerous, uh, but uh, usually when people get hurt on a ghost hunt, it's their own darn fault. Uh, people are will go in a cemetery. They they're all hyped up. They're they're looking for a, a haunted creature. They're looking for something to happen, and and then they scare themselves, and they run and they trip over a gravestone or a headstone or a, a, a blackberry <laughs> bush or something like that. I've had more people come up to me and point to to scars on them, and they say, "Well, look, the, the ghost did this to me." And then I said, "Well, where were you?" And they, they they tell me, "Well, me and Tommy were drinking, and then we went down to the cemetery." And, Something grabbed my foot and I fell over. And the next day we go to the cemetery and there's there's thorns and bramble bushes. It looks like somebody ran through them. And then there's you know little. It, it's like you know you just did this to yourself. So I, I am I am a real skeptic when it comes to um, that you know, the idea that a ghost actually attacked somebody and, and ripped skin and did that type of stuff. Although. Uh, poltergeist activity is another thing. That's where wine bottles fly through the air, glasses and ashtrays fly through the air. You know, we've seen that type of stuff. But an actual attack on a human being is, is extremely rare, and uh, and, and I, I, I'm still looking for a scientific documented case that I can say, oh, yeah, you, know, you really upset the spirits, and they're coming after you, and they're going to do you some damage. Right. Right. So, so – about as far as like poltergeist activity, though, people can get hurt with that, right? Well, yeah, but we're not sure what poltergeist activity is. You know, it's not necessarily a ghost. It could be a, a mental aberration where you've got a teenager. I mean, most poltergeist activity, when you track it down, it, it involves a young female uh, that's you know, 13 or 14 years old approaching adolescence, and she's got a lot of mental or ESP type type of ability. And when you extract that person from the situation, all the activity stops. So the big thing is find out who's who's doing it, and then and then you know finding out what happens. Then once she becomes a, an, an adult, all the activity stops for some reason. It's kind of like uh, 
yeah, they, they've learned to date and they don't have to have these uh, these fictitious, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends or, or something like that. Not sure what's going on. But. Do, do you also, have any, are, are there any theories uh, as to why it's usually girls? Is there any reason for that? I've, I've always wondered about that. I've heard that before, that it's, you know, uh, usually girls. How come? Is there a reason? Some some people theorize that it has something to do with the uh, the lunar cycle. And as as, as we know, uh, if you read the Farmer's Almanac and there's some plants, for example, root plants like potatoes and uh, you know, that type of plant, if you plant them, you want to plant them under a full moon. If you plant them under a full moon, something magical happens. Well, science today tells us that when you plant something like that under a full moon, the tidal effects are pulling the water up. That's why we have our high tides at, at full moon and low tides at, at new moon. And so what happens is the liquid gets pulled up into the, into the, the plant and it gives it a head start on growing. And some people have said that, well, you know, maybe the same thing is happening to these young ladies when they're having their, their monthly uh, effect or yeah. flow or, uh, you know, what, whatever you want to call it, their menstrual cycle, when that's coming through, it is affected by the moon. And so maybe there's something there that's causing that. We know that hormones get affected. There's chemical changes, uh, th- that type of stuff. And, and the theory is that it, it's something to do with the moons. And, of course, once you start stacking up, you know, the, the mercury's in retrograde or the planets are lining up, you've got more more stuff going in there. It's just that, yeah, there, it, 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 it does physically affect them. And if they do have some ESP uh, activity and they're, uh, they're grumpy or their hormones are acting up on it, yeah, place comes flying off the off the table with the little brother. Interesting. I, I knew a full-grown adult woman who was always a poltergeist agent, and when she was having husband trouble, you know, getting ready to leave him, oh, boy, did her house act up. And we, we knew it was her. But it was yeah. how, even though she was adult, it would happen. And then I've seen a lot of, or a few people, perimenopause when that's the symptoms are starting and women get a little PMSy constantly. That seems to be another well, way I mean, to increase that. Well, and, and the other thing is, they, you know, if, if things like that are happening, you look for help. And so now I've got I've got one something going on that's causing paper plates to fly off the table. And now that that you know, the mom is concerned, so she goes and gets her girlfriends, and and, the, and so now we've got five or six or eight women, all that are that are all under the same influence, and now we've we've got them gathered in one place, expecting something to happen, and lo and behold, something happens. Makes sense to me. Wow. So what do you what 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 would you say your your opinion in your opinion what do you think poltergeist activity is do you think it's mental energy the moon completely I, I think it's I think it's PSI you know psychometric energy uh, be it be it ESP okay. or, or tele you know I mean basically, kind of you know, related. yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's all related I think that we just haven't done uh, there there are a few people. Um, that are doing a lot of research on, on this type of stuff. We used to back in the 50s and 60s, and we used to have a parapsychology degree that you could get to do this stuff. And I don't believe yeah. you, just, you can get a parapsychology degree in the United States. You can in Britain, which is why a lot of the documentation and research that we see is, is coming from London, is coming from Britain and Canada, and there's not a lot going on here in the United States. So it's you know, no. we've lost Yeah, they killed that a long time ago. Um, Lloyd Auerbach will be on next month does some fine courses, so he's very qualified. Um, yeah, 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 he's got research going, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. So one more thing on that note, um, we should have asked with the vampire book. How did you get involved with vampires? 
Um, actually, uh, I, it, it's all coming from the book. I wanted to write a book. My goal was um, I'm getting up in years, and I wanted to start researching different books. I would like to write a, a children's fairy tale. I want to write a science fiction book. And, and, a fiction, and for some reason, when I outlined Maxwell Jackson, uh, Vampires was the first book that I wanted to start writing on, and so that's when I started doing research on vampires. I'd, I'd done research previously on uh, the Church of Satan, uh, demonology, things like that, uh, when, I, when I was working with uh, you know, Wiccans and Wishes and magicians yeah. and things like that earlier in, in my life. Um, and and this, in the, the Church of, uh, of Vampires is actually a spinoff of the Church of Satan. A group of people got together, they looked at the Church of Satan, and they said, well, they didn't like the way the church was going. And just like Martin Luther, you know, they, they just kind of split off and started their own stuff. You know, we'll believe a, we'll believe a lot of this stuff, but, you know, that Satan thing's going a little too far, so we're just going to suck people's yeah. blood. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've read Anton LaVey's books, and the Church of Satan is not who is going around crucifying animals or anything. Those are usually teenagers calling themselves Satanists. The Church of Satan is fairly sane. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, it's, it's it's pretty well, uh, pretty well documented and uh, and organized. Yeah, yeah, and I think they like animals better than they like people, and I admire that about them anyway. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's all down a little bit. As a matter of fact, in in all of the uh, the vamp- vampiric temples that I found, uh, there's there's laws and bylaws that go along with it. And one of the things that they talk about is um, they is you, they don't want their members to attack. Uh, sheeple who don't want to be attacked, and so that's that may be one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of uh, a lot of, of attacks and vampires. Well, every once in a while you'll see something, and it turns out that those are like purists. Those are people who really think that they're um, the God's gift to the vampire world, if you can pardon the pun. But, uh, <laughs> but they're also, and, and they're they're above everything. And usually the uh, the vampire temple or, or, or one of the groups will pull those guys aside and say, you know, you can't be doing that because what you're doing, you, know, you cannot abduct people, pull them out of their cars, and have them disappear, um, you know, <laughs> it, it, because yeah. that brings a lot, that brings a light on us, and we don't want that. And they've been pretty successful going under under the light. I, moved, I, I discovered as I found out who was doing this thing, like I said, nurses, doctors, police officers, uh, court judges. Yeah, so I mean, these people are like, no, we're not. I don't want people to know that uh, that I'm a vampire, but I do like the taste of blood, and I will imbibe once in a while. Wow, I thought I was a carnivore. Yeah, do you think do you think that there's any kind of? uh, um, I've always kind of suspected when I've heard stories about this that there's probably some sort of physical. I don't know, like maybe, for example, you know, somebody's low on iron or something. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. But I've like, I've craved weird things before. I've craved dirt. I've craved chalk. I've never craved blood. But I wonder if there's something like that going on too. Well, maybe. some people like chalk. Some people like potato chips, and some people like potato chips and chocolate. Um, the research that I've looked at is trying to find out is there an actual physical need for blood, uh, and all the research keeps coming back. Uh, uh, no, there's not. Uh, for yeah. some reason, this is an affinity that the that the vampires like. They they like this stuff. Although some of the vampires will say if they, that if they get you know one or two teaspoons of, of blood in a in a certain amount of time, uh, they're they're good for maybe five five days or seven days. And it's interesting when you go to the the, the dances and the clubs, these vampire friendly places, um, the the sheeple that they're using um, these, these are all donors, and so they're 
they're tested. They're, they have STD cards, and they're you know, so they're very aware of bloodborne pathogens, and so they you know they wow. make sure. I mean, you, you, the worst thing you can do is you know, well, we've got a vampire with AIDS. You know, it's right. Uh, so interesting. Do you do you think is it do, is there very often is there is there is there a sexual element to it? Is it is it kind of a sexual fetish thing, or is it generally just? Well, there yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, and there, and and it's. There is a sexual effect. Some people enjoy uh, having sex with a lot of blood play, and that's something in the in the alternate uh, lifestyle that people will, will get into. So, so you've got that. That doesn't necessarily make them vampires, but they're one of the things that I notice at some of these clubs is that there'd be an attractive young lady on the dance floor. She's in good shape. Some college kid from University of Washington is on the dance floor too. They're talking, uh, and they they go in the back room, and 20, 30 minutes later, they come out. He's uh, he, he's got a happy expression on his face. He's been drained uh, somehow, and he and, and he's wearing a bandaid. And so, I mean, if you think about it, for for an attractive young lady who's into this thing, if she goes up to a guy and says, you know, here's the deal, I'll I'll let you and I will get horizontal for 30 minutes, and all I'm <laughs> going to do is is, is going to nick your your neck a little bit and just suck on a little blood, would that be okay? And if you're the college sophomore at the university, that's it? That's all i got to do? Call me in. Oh, really? Wow. Now, remember, the blood-sucking vampires, that's one type of the vampires. The other type are are the energy-sucking vampires. And these are the ones that do not drink the blood. Uh, What they do is they tap into your energy. And we've all been been walked into rooms where you you walk in, you're there for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and you're just drained. The energy is gone from you. Yeah. And so that's most of the vampires that I encounter were more into that than the, than the other stuff. And then there's there's a hybrid. Uh, so there's two types, and the and the hybrid do both. They'll take your energy, and they'll also you know take a little blood. But for the most part, they're in it for the, for the energy. Oh man, I only want to be around the blood suckers. I don't like psychic vampires. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather give blood too myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if you're, you guys for anybody who's easy? just joining us, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Joe Teeples. Uh, uh, he's a ghost hunter and an author, and he is giving away um, two copies of his book, Ghostology 101. If you uh, email us at our Thorn and Cross or Thorn and Cross Hunter Nights live page on Facebook, and uh, you can message us there, or you can message us at Thorn and or sorry, Hunter Nights Live at gmail.com. Um, and toward the end of the show, we will announce the winners. Um, that being said, I would like to talk about this book. You're giving away two copies of Ghostology 101. Uh, can we talk about that book a little bit? Sure. Ghostology 101 was uh, the first ghost book that uh, that I wrote, and I actually co-authored it with uh, Ross Allison. And Ross Allison is the president of the uh, the Ghost Group, which is the um, uh, the Advanced Ghost Hunters of Seattle and Tacoma, and they have a lot of, matter of fact, they've got a laboratory, actually, in uh, in the underground over in Pioneer Square. Um, they have a museum of death there that, that's over on Cherry Street. It's a great place to go, but they've got all the bells and whistles and the, the experiments and, and, and that type of stuff. And we, we wrote this book when we saw a need. We had a, the, the ghost organization was one of the few that would accept anyone to join and, and, uh, and, and research Life, you know, life beyond beyond death, and so we would have people coming in from all walks of life who were just curious about you know, how do I hunt ghosts? Is there life after death? How does all this stuff work? What's a, what's an EMF? What's an EMP? 
And so we, you know, they don't, they would all all come together, and we had to teach them. And so we, Ross and I, put our heads together, and we said, okay, this is this is what they need to know. And so in the book, we describe the different types of ghosts, the different types of hauntings, whether it's a residual haunting where the person, the ghost does the same thing over and over and over, and that's the one at 10 o'clock that walks the halls of the of the museum and then vanishes, as opposed to an intelligent haunting where the ghost uh, walks the halls of the museum but then stops and interacts with other people. And, the, and of course, the holy grail of ghost hunting is the full-body apparition that stops and chats with you. And so we explain some of the theories uh, of, of you know, where they are, what they're doing, what they're made of, things like that. And then we also talk about the types of equipment that you need to record this stuff and, and so that the members could get their own equipment, be it a microphone or a, or a tape recorder, uh, and some of the techniques to use that to keep from having things happen. For example, we established some rules with photography. Uh, you don't smoke on a, on a ghost hunting trip. It sounds... If you're if you're looking for ghosts and one of your members is smoking and, and three people take a picture and all of a sudden we've got misty ectoplasm right. in all of our pictures. <laughs> well, no, that's Carol. She was having a camel cigarette, you know. Um, <laughs> like, like when you're doing a, a voice recording, the first thing you do is you announce everyone and everyone says, "Hey, my name's Joe Teeples, My name's Cameron Thorne. My name's Alistair." So you have a voice print on your tape recorder so that. Later on, when the tape comes up and you hear a, a whispering sound or a voice, uh, and you say, oh, that must be a ghost, and you say, no, no, that's Alistair. It's, he, 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 remember, it's the same voice. It's just that he's in the other room talking to somebody else. And so we, we establish that stuff. And then we establish protocol on, on how to do this, this type of thing, too. Is it a ghost hunt where you're looking for evidence, or is it an expedition? And we, we talked about the differences between the two. And an expedition is we're all going to the, to the cemetery, to see if anything's there. And so everyone shows up and everyone just goes around and, and we're looking for any anomaly as opposed to an actual ghost investigation where we know that the ghost shows up at 10 o'clock down the basement and sits in this one chair. And so at 10 o'clock, we want all the attention focused on that chair. So we're not just, uh, it's not just a wide net. And then we try to come up with experiments to prove this stuff. For example, up in uh, Port uh, Gamble in Washington, there's a there's the Walker Ames house has a chair down I think it's down on the basement, which reacts violently if people sit in it. And so if people sit in there, uh, the chair starts to move and people get physically ill when they're sitting there. Apparently that's the ghost chair. So that's an experiment to do if you're doing the Walker Ames house. You want to sit up, go up there and have some brave soul sit in the chair and everyone else record what happens and and see what happens on on that. So. So that's some of the stuff that we explain in the book, how to do this stuff. And then we gave them forms. In, in the back of the book, there are forms that you can use to record, okay, here we, we have a team, we have a psychic, we have a, a technician, we have an observer, and they all have their own forms, and they're all going to record what they see. And so when you do, everyone gets together afterwards, after the thing, they can compare notes as to what happened at what time. Interesting. Yeah. So your and then your other book, Pacific Northwest Haunts. Um, how is that different? What's this one about? Pacific Northwest Haunts is more of a field guide. I mean, the first book, Ghost Hours okay. 101, is an excellent book for uh, Scooby Doo and the Ghost Bunners. You know, we're going to start a ghost hunting club. These are the forms. Here's what we're looking for. This is the equipment that we use. Pacific Northwest Haunts is a listing of, of all the public. You know, we, we didn't put anything in there that's private, so you don't have to trespass on anyone's property. But it, it's, it's a listing of places. Here's the location. Here's the address so that you can go to it. And too often, as you do research in these things, it'll say, oh, we're, we're looking for 
the Georgetown Castle. And people talk about the Georgetown Castle. And if you're a ghost hunter, you've been doing this thing for 10 years in Seattle, you know where the Georgetown Castle is. But if you just moved into Seattle and you're, you came up from San Francisco, you could spend months looking around Georgetown, which is a suburb of Seattle, looking for a castle. And it's not a castle. It's, it's really just a, it's a Victorian-looking house. But people call it the Georgetown right. Castle. So what we did is I went through and I found all those locations, and I put the street address in it. So you can actually put the street address in your GPS, and it'll take you right to the front store, front, front door of that place. So you can go to this pub, you can go to the this railroad car where there's a 1940s-style uh, goat that comes in. Uh, often she shows up, full-body apparition, strikingly beautiful. Uh, she walks in the place, walks from the front and the back, and people will actually follow her to get her phone number. They get to the back where they store the potatoes and the vegetables, and there's no no eggs from there, and she's not there. She's vanished. She, she's, she's an active ghost. She thinks that that's really, really fun to, to lure people back there. Nice. Um, talk about Seattle. I, I wrote a whole novel set in the underground years and years and years ago under another name. I love it up there. And then you brought me back up for a, a one of the conventions, and we went to some of your favorite places. And I'd yeah. love, to, love to hear about your favorite places. I love oh. those too. I mean, Seattle's got got a, got a lot of places. Port Gamble uh, is another one that's got a lot of. There's a uh, Port Gamble. That's the that's the Walker Ames House. That's a company town, uh, and so everyone works for the same. I think it's the Pope Paper Company. Um, but the psychics have gone up to the cemetery. It's a beautiful cemetery that overlooks Puget Sound, and you can go up there. And if you're psychic, if you're sensitive. Um, the spirits will actually come out and talk to you. So we, we, it's not a common that we'll drive by and we'll see our psychics up there. You know, their lips are moving. They're having a conversation with somebody. We can't see the other person. And the, and and there's there's so there's something going on on up there. Um, Port Hadlock is a is another town up in the area. Uh, and if you look at Seattle, it's north uh, east or northwest of Seattle. Port Hadlock, and that's on the water as well. And there was a chemical plant there. And one of the workers fell into one of the acid baths there, Ooh. and the steam and acid bath. And there was no hospital in that town, so they had to drag him through the woods. And the description ah. that the people gave of, the, of his skin was that it was dripping off his body as if it were mozzarella ah. cheese. And Ugh. so, so he died. But, but today, that chemical plant has been refurbished, and it is now an upscale hotel with round circular rooms. And if, if and you can stay in the room and you look up at the top and there's uh-huh. round mirrors and you can look at that and it's pretty neat. But that's the place where the guy fell in, and that's the room uh-huh. where there's a lot of ghostly activity and things happen. Uh, as a matter of fact, they they actually uh, bottle a wine and they they named it after the ghost. So you can go into the bar and you can get a bottle of the of the, of the wine in memory of of the ghost there. And the people who have seen the ghost and encountered the ghost still work there. So it's that's kind of a, a lively place that a lot of people people miss. Oh, that sounds like fun. Now, tell us about Port Townsend and the Palace Hotel. That was great. Oh, it's uh, one of my one of my best places. As a matter of fact, just this last weekend, we uh, we had a group, the Cold Spotters, which is a ghost hunting group from British Columbia, joined us. Uh, actually, we joined them. We heard they were going to be up there, and so a ghost as a group said, "Well, we'll meet you up there." That sounds like a great deal. So we went up there and we did multiple ghost in, in investigations there. Uh, we went to one of the places was called the Manresa Castle, which is a whole hotel now that some people stayed in there. It used to be a, a Jesuit, uh, I think it was a Jesuit priest monastery, 
And then the Palace Hotel is, is, is decked out in 1890-type uh, type stuff. Both of those places are, are pretty active. Uh, if you go to my website, joetebles.com, and look in the paranormal section, uh, there's, I put the, a, a PDF file, of, and it's called Palace uh, Hotel Handwritten Notes. Both of these hotels have had so much things happen that when people come down and complain about the ghosts, they hand them a sheet of paper and they tell them, here, write it down and we'll put it in the book. And if you come by and stop and, and look at and, and pay, spend some time at the front lobby, they'll pull the book out and hand it to you, and you can go over in the, in the lobby and sit there and read the handwritten notes that go back to <laughs> 1980, where people said, yeah, you know, we came here, we stayed in room 302, we expected to see a lot of ghosts, we didn't see anything. And then you turn the page, and the next thing is, wow, stayed in room 304, and, you know, it was the most scary night of my life. This is on the same night. <laughs> In the Manresa wow. Hotel, in the Manresa Hotel, people complained because they said, "Well, you know, we knew it was early in the morning because we heard the grandfather clock in the lobby chiming, and so they record that." And the interesting thing is, the grandfather clock in the in the front hall um, has no inner working, so it, it doesn't chime. What <laughs> people have reported, wow. and, and they recorded it. And if it was one person at one time, you could say, "Okay, they're making it up, or it's an anomaly," but it's the same report in 1997, and it's the same report in 2003, and it's the same report in 1970. And it's, it's different people, and they, they've got their names and their, and their phone numbers there. So both the hotels have done that. And so, you know, we were up there, we reproduced those things, turned them into a PDF file, and people can go to the website and they can download them. And, and that's a good place to start your research. If you're going to stay at the, yeah. for example, at the Palace Hotel, and you find out that well, there's a lot of activity in, in the room that that they've named for Sarah, which was one of the one of the young ladies who used to work there. Um, then you, know, you you ask for Sarah's room if that's what you're looking for. If you if you want to have an encounter with Sarah, sleep in her room and ask her to to talk to you. And you know, TVs go on, TVs go off, water runs by itself, lights turn on and off, uh, and so it's a it's a good place to start. In addition to that, uh, at Port Townsend, Fort Warden, which is uh, the place where they filmed an officer and a gentleman, uh, that's, that's a state it's a state park. So it's, it's I mean, these places have, you know, from a photographer's point of view, it's very scenic, as well as you know they're they're very haunted and there's there's things happening there and the, the gun emplacements are haunted and some of the old uh, quarters on Officers Row are, are are haunted and the cemetery has activity. So it's a, there's a lot of activity going on up in the Port Townsend area and that's one of my favorite places to go. Oh, I just love that. Now there's two other places I want to ask you about. First is a place you took me, the Triangle of Terror. Is that known for haunts? The old World War II it, it is and it, it was the, the Triangle of Death and what it was was oh. it was uh, it was it was uh, Port Townsend and two other cities up in that area where they put coastal artillery. And the theory was if the Japanese or any foreign people attacked, they would have to come through that area. And uh-huh. at that point, they, they would have all this coastal artillery focused on them from three different shores. And no one ever made it through there. I mean, no one no no one even tried to, to come through there. Yeah. And so, so, but but those are the three areas. And, and I think we took you to one of the gun emplacements that was kind yeah. of hidden. And we got to play down there, and, and it just it was just kind of spooky. And I would imagine that if you were there during wartime, um, as a as a young coastal artilleryman, there there would be a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and a lot of energy that would be left behind in those gun emplacements. Yeah. So the the cannons are gone, but the the, the caissons are still yeah. there. The concrete is there. It's really a really a nice place to go and visit. 
Yeah, even the sunny parts of it, where the sunshine through, had a very nervous feeling to it, a tense feel. It was fascinating. Yeah, and the other I'm part, well, when I was an old kid and Kolchak was on the air, the second oh, yeah. movie they did before they started the series, The Night Strangler, that was set, Richard Matheson wrote the screenplay, and it was set in the Seattle Underground, and I fell in love, so I wanted to write a book about the underground and I went up there and toured it and all that. It's fantastic. So tell me, what happens in the underground these days? Anything spooky? Well, the underground, and, and there's, people need to realize that um, when you look at the city of uh, Seattle right now, the main streets that are, that are there right now uh, are raised streets. The, the, the original streets used to be lower. And what they did is they actually, where the old storefronts were, uh, they actually raised the streets to control mudslides and things like that. And then they just boarded them over, and then they forgot about them. So uh, uh-huh. down on the, down underneath the streets of Seattle, as you're walking on the sidewalk, sometimes you'll look down and you'll see uh, little uh, four-inch uh, squares of glass that are set into the sidewalk. And those were there to let the light down there. And they, right now they're purple, but they used to be quartz. And, of course, uh, over time, I think the quartz or whatever, what they use them up, Changes color and becomes purple. Yeah, that's what I read too. Yeah. And so there's a couple several places that do tours, and you can actually go down underneath there. And so as you're underneath there, you, you'll walk through there, and people have have seen as the tour is going on. There's 80 or 80 or 90 people on this tour group stumbling through the the down the, you know, the underground area, looking at what it used uh-huh. to be, and looking at the storefronts and things like that. And then when you look in the in, at the at, at towards the end of the tour group, sometimes they'll they'll notice that there's somebody else following them. And then they'll, they'll, and then that person, and you'll notice that they're wearing what people often describe as well. They were, they were funny clothes. Well, for us, anything from the 1920s would appear funny. And so they're looking at someone from the 1920s, or the or the 1890s, or or that type of stuff. And and they're just denizens that are down there. That are you know, the, some of these streets were where the, uh, the the ladies of ill repute, the, the hookers would be hanging out. And so there's one wall there where there, you know, this is that was the gathering place where the ladies would hang out and pick up their their guests for the evening. And so there's the psychics get a lot of wailing and and, and uh, uncomfortable feelings from that area. And then they'll you know, sometimes they'll, they'll see the young ladies. There's a bank vault down there as well, and the bank is 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 there. The vault's still there. And uh, people have, have claimed that you know they, they would go by and they'd turn around and they would see the image of a guy. It's not a full apparition, but it's kind of a shadowy image, and it looks like he's wearing a bank teller's cap in one part of the tour. And so that's a pretty interesting place to to look at. And so uh, lots of stuff going on down there. We've had people um, have weddings. They'll, they'll go to the underground and they'll have a wedding. So everyone's in dress dress white and stuff like that. And then when they look at the pictures that the photographer takes, there's there's additional guests down there that, that oh. weren't in the wedding party. And so, who's that guy? Well, <laughs> it's a bank seller. I don't know. He, just, he didn't drink much, so it's okay. Now, the, now the Spooked in Seattle is, is the other museum, and that's about two blocks away, and that's where a ghost is headquartered. So Spooked in Seattle is another part. It's actually part of the underground, and you haven't been, been back there since they've got that going. And in there, that's Ross Allison has done an excellent job of establishing a museum of death where there's coffins, uh, devices that we used to use for mortuary stuff, some chapels, uh, and he's really, you can really go there and learn and study some of the, uh, some of the, the rituals of death that we, that we would, would go through, and he put that in there. And he started quite a collection of haunted dolls, 
where dolls will be possessed, and they won't know what to do with it, so they'll give them to Ross. And so Ross has put them in the museum. So you can go down there and look <laughs> at these dolls. And, and they're, you know, I mean, the, the dolls, uh, they'll scare us. They'll scare, they'll scare the staff. When the staff is there in the evening, all of a sudden you know, everything will be real quiet, and we have this one ventriloquist dummy, and he's really spooky, and the hair on him is made out of actual human hair. And he'll just be staring straight ahead. And we had one of our, one of our vice presidents of the club, June, was was sitting in, in the office and she was working on something. And, and all of a sudden she heard this clunking sound. And she looked over and this the the ventriloquist head had turned and it was staring straight at her. Just gave her the heebie-jeebies. And I said, like, "Oh God!" And she was in there all by herself. That was pretty oh, interesting. That's a scary place. I want to. We're starting to run out of time, and I want to ask you about the um, bunny invasion. At the convention up there. <laughs> it's such a, you mentioned it before, and I'd love to hear about that. Evil one, one of the things that I do is, is another one of my passions is if you can look at my website is that I love to take photographs. I, I, I'm, a, I'm an amateur photographer. And uh, I, I got it early in, in Seattle. I, I hooked up with Eric Pope, and he's the head of the zombies, uh, the Seattle zombies. And uh, he does a great job. And we'll, we'll, what he calls out to have uh, zombies hit the streets of Seattle, not uncommon to have over 1,000 zombies show up, 3,000, 5,000. And so what we do is every Memorial Day, uh, the zombies attack the light rail. And so we have a light rail that goes from downtown Seattle out to the airport. And so what we do is, is the attack starts at about 3 p.m., and they start in the downtown area. So just imagine you're downtown Seattle and you're heading for the light rail, and all of a sudden you look up and there's several hundred zombies shuffling towards the light rail, running along with you. And then when they get on the light rail, they ride all the way out to the airport, and then when they get to the airport, that's where the Crypticon convention is. And if they're in in zombie costumes, the Crypticon people give them free admission, so they get to go into the the (laughs) convention at no cost. So they, they go right by the parade of, uh, of hearses. Uh, in fact, there's a photograph of, of the hearses on my website with a, with a model pose in front of them. And so they, they shovel through there, then they go up, up, up there, and, and they, they do that stuff. So it, it, and, and it's theatrical makeup. It is quality stuff. This is the type uh, of stuff that you see in, on sci-fi's face-off. I mean, the, the people really take the time to do it right. I cannot wait to come back and see you in Seattle again. I love that town. Oh. It's it just great. I have a I have a question that um, that I uh, kind of wanted to save till we were closer to the end. Um, so you've been doing this for you know thirty five forty years. Um, what this is an odd question, but but you know, as someone who who has studied things that we don't understand that we can't see. Um, what is your assessment of life? What do you believe is out there? What do you think is nonsense? How do you feel overall? What are your thoughts overall on what we perceive every day? Well, I, I, I think a lot of this can, can be summed up. I, I was we were at a at a funeral and when somebody had died, and one of the children of the house was really. He may be 10 years old, really scared about what's going to happen to him when he dies. And it is the first time he's encountered this. And I was sitting there, and, of course, he, he wanted to ask me, you know, well, what happens when you die? And I was trying to come up with anything that would be positive. You know, well, you know, you turn into a ghost, and you'll have to hang out in the cemetery for a couple of decades. But then, you know, you get to see your dog. <laughs> and stuff. 
You know, and, and I never got to that because the other person across from me, and I, I can't remember if, if he was Buddhist or Hindu or whatever, but he, he turned to the the child, turned to, the, turned to this holy man, and he said, where do you go when you die? And the guy didn't miss a beat. He just looked at the kid and said, well, you go back to where you were before you were here, of course. Mm-hmm. And the child is, oh, yeah, of course, that makes sense. And all the stress and worry left him. And I, and I think that's a great way to look at it. We This is one plane of existence. We don't know what went on before. We don't know what's going to be here later on. There's a yeah. group in Seattle, which is a, a group of people who have experienced near-death experience. You know, they've died and they've been brought back. Their stories uh-huh. are are pretty much all the same. And this is the old, the, the Seattle chapter is the oldest chapter that's been around that still meets on a regular basis. And so these people get in there. When you go to those meetings and talk to those people, first off, their stories are, are strikingly similar. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Your loved ones are there. You can see something nice at the other side. So death is nothing to be afraid of. However, it's not your time. And so as they get pushed back in, into their bodies, their, their reaction is probably, you know, I, I don't want to stay here. I, I really want to go and join you, your grandmama. And he says, no, nope, it's not your time, but we'll see you again. Yeah, don't worry about it. The other thing that strikes me about all these people is that they are exceptionally calm. They do not get wrapped around the axle about any of the, any of the little humdrum. Somebody cuts them off in the parking lot, and they're like, who cares? Once you know that there, there is a life after this one, and it's, it's a conviction, you know, it's not just faith, I know that yeah. there, there's think your perception changes. That makes total Excellent. sense. Would you, would you ever be... Um, <laughs> I'm asking like it's a request, but it's not. It's just, have you ever considered writing a book on that topic, like writing, uh, devoting an entire book to the cases that you've seen that have led you to the beliefs that you have, and maybe even interviews with these people who are, you know, convinced of, you know. Well, yeah, and, and, and you know, I thought about it, but the only people that I would really want to pass this on to would be my my children. Um, you know, I mean, when you think about it, this is a this is a private thing, and these are my ideas, and I, I, I don't want to become an evangelical and try to turn people around and say, hey, this is what it is. Because I might be wrong. You know, the, you know, the, you right. know we go to the Light of the Angel Tunnel, and, and there's 15 of the people who have bought my book, and they said, Joe, it was all BS. Do you know what's out here? Yeah, there's crocodiles out here. Yeah, they're, they're not happy. So, uh, but I, I, have talked, I have talked to my children about, about this stuff and explained, you know, my, my feelings to them, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, yeah, I mean it. I mean the research is out there, and, and as I, you know, maybe if, if I if I write something like that and I leave it behind, maybe they they could pass it on with some of the other people, which is how most of my 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 stories and my books start. Is I write something because there's a need for it, I put it together, uh-huh. and then sure enough, some publisher comes up and says, hey, "Can I publish that?" I say, um, sure. You mean I'll get money for that? Cool. I'll I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll cash it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. How cool nice. is that? Um, it has been a pleasure, and I hope that we can have you back because we still never even touched on Bigfoot, time travel, witchcraft, UFOs, <laughs> werewolves. All these There's things. A lot oh, yeah, remote viewing. <laughs> and we haven't even gotten to that underground base in Dulce, New Mexico, have we? Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah, there's fun. <laughs> we'll have you back soon. As soon as we yeah, can. Be better. Um, and we need to better know for winners. Do you have them? Yes, do you have the winners? do. I Yes. Um, there, uh, Joe Teeples is giving away two copies of Ghostology 101, and we had some uh, some good entries. Um, I picked the first person that that that, that asked before 
the show is live and the first person who asked once the show went live. So here are the two winners, and I first apologize beforehand because I think I'm probably going to butcher both your names. <laughs> but we will respond to your emails, and uh, and you'll know that you're the ones. But uh, our, our winners are Alia, Elliot, Alia, something uh, close, something like Aaliyah, that. Yes, I think. And um, Gloria Weirlink, I believe. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but we will, you, you're the winner. You're the yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, finally, thank you, everybody, for listening. And um, on the topic of ghosts, we have to mention um, Tamara Thorne and I are very, very excited <laughs> because we have two uh, pieces of good news. One is, of course, that the – ouch – Sorry, it's my cat. The sixth installment, or or, uh, or I mean the uh, fifth installment of uh, the Ghost of Ravencrest uh, Night Moves is available. The Ghost of Ravencrest is about a haunted manor and the new governess who moves into it and discovers uh, just how deep and dark the history goes the hard way all by herself. And also, um, we have in March coming out our very first, uh, our debut collaboration novel you know Ghost of Ravencrest is serialized it will be a novel eventually but in the meantime we were working on the slam on a couple of things and one of them one that's coming out in March and it is called The Cliff House Haunting um, this is about a haunted breakfast in a little town in California it's got ghosts it's got serial killers it's got water elementals it's got all kinds of good stuff um, yeah. And, Sex, yeah. everything. Yeah. Of course, yes. And, yes. <laughs> and this will Love. be out sometime in March. We can't we can't give an exact date yet because we're not hundred percent sure. It's in production, but it will be sometime in March. We saw uh the art today and let me tell you it is fantastic. I love it. But can't do anything about that yet. But by March it will be ready. Right? Right. And a few months later. Okay. Uh, our second novel will be out, and that one's called Grandma's Rack, but we'll tell you about that after the Cliff House yes. in your hands. Yes, we've, we've been working really, really hard for the last two years, and this year it's all coming out. So, all right. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> um, finally, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for coming, you, Joe. Sincerely, I really hope we can get you back on again. That would be fantastic. There's a lot to talk about. So, thank you again. And thank, thank you. you, everyone, for listening. And um, be sure to check out Joe's website, uh, Um Until next, uh, we wish you haunted nights. And sweet screams. Good night. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.
With Labor Day savings at the Home Depot, good things come in pairs. Like a Samsung top-loading washer-dryer pair for just $6.98 each. Or a front-loading high-efficiency washer-electric-dryer pair, also $6.98 each. They're high-capacity, so large loads are no problem. And right now, neither are smaller budgets. Up to 40% off appliance special buys now at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. U.S. only, Wasp Wise Last, Gas Dryer Extra, C-Store for details, valid through September 12th.